0: views and opinions on this show do not necessarily reflect the views of ESPN Tucson 1490 and 1049 FM or the Arizona Lotus Corporation. Got car trouble?
1: Now's the time to talk with Jerry on the Simmons Car Care
0: Shop Talk Show. Call in now at 719-1490. Drinking, piston clanking, air polluting, smoke belching, four wheeled buggies from Detroit City. Then pay attention. I'm about to sing your songs, huh? Well, now, I'm not a man to point a judge. Very willing to hold a grudge, but I think it's time to send me a few charts words All right, welcome back to the Simmons Car Care Shop Talk Show. I'm Jerry Simmons, your host, along with me, riding shotgun, Jim Mooney from Frontier Towing, for all your towing needs. Uh, and we're, we're talking automobiles. We're talking just about anything. We've been gotten into a little bit of equipment, and um, equipment, you're talking about equipment, Spectrum Minor Road Auto Collision, 744-4454. They're located at 4425 West Ina Road. You want to see a bunch of equipment, take a look at an automotive collision shop. When you go in, he has the RF1234 uh, air conditioning service machine, which is about $7,500. And then it's about $100 a pound or $100, $100 a pound or something like that to put this uh, 1234 in. Massive amount. Does he know that equipment's going to work 100% all the time? No. When we buy equipment in the automotive repair industry, and I've been doing this for 47 years, 46 years now, we buy the best piece of equipment with the most information that we do research on, the best that we can get that will do the job, mainly because we want it to do the job. We don't have the time for a eight thousand dollar piece of equipment just to shut down premature. So trust me, the guys in the automotive repair industry that are buying all this equipment, including Brian Fuller. Brian, I seen him buy a brand new analyzer from a car company here in Tucson, and it didn't work because of the information that this piece of equipment had in it was Some of it was proprietary information, and they didn't put it in the computer. And I've never seen – well, I've seen Brian Mad a couple of times, but this is one time, and I won't repeat what he said over the radio (laughs) because you can't do it. But the machines, the MotorVac machines, yeah, you use those things. We use them so much, and there is no – there is no – How many years is it going to last? How many cars is it going to service before it actually quits with the motors and stuff that's in it working all the time? Um, So there is no time factor that we know on them. That's the reason we have three of them. And at any one time, I remember when two of them broke down and we had the third one, thank goodness. And then you try to order parts for them. Well, the parts has got to come out of different places. So, and if you've got a supply chain interruption like we just went through or still going through, and everybody's playing catch-up, yeah, this equipment's going to be hard to get, hard to replace. Uh, what I do like about Charles's call is the fact that uh, the place that he took it to, when they couldn't get it in to finish the job, they give him his money back. And that that tells me that he was doing it at a good place. Uh Before I forget this one, we've got two more tickets for callers number 2 and 4, 520-719-1490. They're family four-packs to Tucson Speedway tonight. Gates open at 5. The racing starts at 6.30 at Tucson Speedway. All right. Now, where were we, Jim, before I got sidetracked? Well, I didn't get sidetracked. It was just stuff that I needed to get out there. Uh, oh, we were talking well, about uh, uh, gasoline cars. The financing in gasoline cars is going away if in Australia. If you're trying to finance a gas burner, you can't do it. I mean, you won't be able to do it. Now, this is just the first notification I've seen on this. But uh, so if you're going to Australia and you're going to buy a car over there or you live in Australia and listening to this radio program, uh, get ready, guys. You've got some heavy stuff coming over there, too. All right. Jim, what do you got, buddy? Where are we at?
1: Oh, well, the, <laughs> what I was going to tell you with the, with a warranty on stuff, <laughs> try living in the commercial world. Yeah. They could tell you there's a warranty, oh but rest assured there isn't one. We laugh about warranties. Oh, there's a warranty? No, there's not. Sorry, it's on a commercial vehicle. (laughs) There isn't one. So you can imagine my frustration when I get a new part that doesn't work and the guy says, oh, yeah, um, you can buy another one. Thanks. We'll bill you twice. It's worth more if you pay for it twice. It's worth twice the value because you paid twice for it. That doesn't always go over well with right. me, but you know, it, it is what it is. Um, Australia, electric cars. We're not gonna we're not gonna be able to buy. You're not gonna be able to get financing for a vehicle that's not electric. So, I know some guys that live in Australia, and okay. I don't know if you know how far it is across Australia, but it's a long, long way. And there is nothing out there. In fact, in Australia, in order to get from one side to the other when they truck, they actually put, they have, they call called road trains. So they put three semi-trailers together, three 53-foot semi-trailers together. Okay, so imagine three trailers stacked together with a truck in front of it. And then they go. And they drive for days to get from one side to the other. All on dirt roads. And they just keep going. And there's nothing out there, so I'm not really sure if you're living in Australia. I don't, but uh, I'm not sure where you're gonna go outside of the city if you have only an electric car, because there's nowhere out there to charge it with. I guess unless you take a generator with you. I mean, I guess that's the new recommendation: buy generators well. for so you don't have to worry about blackouts or your or your or your car running out of juice. Um it's kind of an interesting concept um we'll we'll make sure that you pay cash for you won't buy this I mean that's that's a I guess that's a way to to control people right. restrict them into getting what they get, getting them where where you want to go so I guess like your, back to your well, point of putting away 10, 10 cents a a gallon 10 cents a mile for for maintenance but away 20 cents a mile for a new car I mean that's that's kind of an interesting yeah it's an interesting uh, uh, thought well
0: we'll we'll see how that works out there's always exceptions to every rule you know you can look at the federal government on that and there's always exceptions always exceptions except you, not for you so I and I when it's I say anything <laughs> like this I, I just go oh makes you scratch your head and say okay this is interesting I wonder how it's going to play out. But as long as I've been around the automotive industry, everything I look at, it, I don't panic on nothing. I mean, nothing nothing shakes me up. Nothing. I see it, and I'm going, wow, that ought to be interesting. I wonder if it's going to work. Then they're talking about, uh, uh, oh, Jesus. Auto, you, you look at the environment, and you look at car maintenance, and the other day I walked out of a parts house. And started going to my truck, the oil leak out of a guy that was just there, out of the bottom of his vehicle, was so big, I couldn't even go down. It had already run through his parking space, so I couldn't walk through his parking space. <coughs> and I'm going, <coughs> I wonder what he bought while he was in the parts house, Oh oil. Um, oil is so critical for automobiles. It's something that my, uh, you know, I had a conversation with an individual on the East Coast, and he said I use about a quart and a half of an oil change. And I said, really. And he said, I'm thinking about changing the viscosity and going from a, uh, I think it's a 5W30. I want to go to a 5W40. What do you think? And I said, well, he said, I got 200,000 miles on the car. And I said, you know, these cars, your late model car was designed for the thinner oil, and a lot of times you'll use the thinner oil. You'll have cars right now. We have brand-new cars that are oil burners and, or oil processors. They'll actually use oil, and they won't smoke, and it's because of the thin oil in them, and the thin oil in them allows the vehicle to rotate easier because they don't have to push that heavyweight oil through there, And the running components that depend on a lubricant on the inside don't have to process that. And it actually frees up the rotating assembly in the engine, the rods, the pistons, and all of that. But the downside to that is they can use this lightweight oil up. I mean, it just goes away. And so they say uh, one quart per thousand miles and then they they upped that from one quart to seven hundred and fifty miles and if that's it, that's acceptable on these motors. And so his theory was I think I'll increase it the weight of the from go from a I think it's a five W thirty to a five W forty. He says, What's your gut feeling on that? And I said, My gut feeling on that is there's a lot of oil additives uh b g chemicals makes one called motor oil additive that'll keep your oil it'll add just a little bit of viscosity to it but not enough to hurt it uh but you know if you've got and, uh, a hundred and a two hundred thousand mile motor and you want to go ahead and uh gamble you can put the the put it in there find out what it does See if it burns the same amount of oil if you want to up the top end on it. He said, well, I understand the top end is a critical one. Yeah, it's a critical one, but you don't live in a uh, real, real cold weather. So, and you're still going to be using a five on the bottom end, which is to get it to the, to lube the components of the engine, because you got to keep in mind, man, the foot pounds on a lifter is 20,000. So when you have, or 2,000, when you have 2,000, is it two thousand or twenty thousand? I want to say twenty thousand. That's that's my first gut. But anyway, that's when your wire sets it's in really when you first fire the engine off. It's 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 incredible, and um, so be careful when you're playing with that because you may pay the price. But if you put the forty weight in and you drive it for five hundred or drive it for a thousand miles and then you check the oil and you've got no oil going down. Then, in no noise and no ill effects that you can pinpoint to the oil, uh, yeah, you can try anything you want to. It's your car, and um, but I, I've, since they changed the clearances on the inside of the engine, uh, and it went to the thinner weight oil, uh, and it's it's supposed to work better. But I know in race cars we don't we don't have the tolerances inside of a race engine that you do in these cars that are running out there right now. And so if you've got a tight-built engine, you have to go with that five weight. But if you've got a race car engine, that's the reason we get away with running a 1540. Uh, We can run a 50-weight oil in there, straight 50. Uh, We run a modified with a clearance. We could run 60-weight full synthetic engine oil in that thing, 60-weight. Uh, So anything goes with the design of the engine. And people are putting in, uh, what what do they call it, the extended life oil now that the manufacturers have come out with. And it turns out that they have taken a paraffin-based oil and they put uh, different additives in it and a little bit of uh, synthetic in it to try to get you the additional uh, cleaners in it, detergents in it, And make the engine run longer. And I'm saying, if you're going to do that, why don't you switch it over to full synthetics when it's got about 1,500 miles on it and run full synthetic all the way through? The common response is, but that stuff's expensive. Well, your engine is expensive too. You want it something that'll run a little quieter, run a little freer because of the uh, synthetic blend, uh, synthetic that's in there. But the synthetic blends, when my 2017 Ford came out, it had a synthetic blend in it. And I'm going, okay, did they put the synthetic blend in it because it's a brand-new vehicle and they want everything to break in like it's supposed to? Because if you put full synthetic in a brand-new rebuilt engine, the rings are not going to seat properly because it's too slick on the inside. It will not allow the rings to seat to the cylinders like it's supposed to. So they say drive it at least fifteen hundred miles, then you can change it over to full synthetic. I did it with a ninety nine V ten and I went from a what the manufacturer had in it and I went to a zero thirty weight. And that thing and I sold it at one hundred and twenty nine thousand miles with absolutely no problems to the engine whatsoever with a zero thirty weight. I did talk to the manufacturer of the uh, engine, and they told me that if I wanted to run the zero weight in this Triton engine, go right ahead, because the problems they were having with the Triton motor is not getting lube to the top of the cams fast enough. And they were it was called an engine failure, and he said, but we have to submit what we're going to be running in these engines about five years in advance. And so that's how far we're working on these motors before we actually put them out. If we could have run the 030 weight in that engine from the manufacturer, that's what we would have had in it because I like it better. Now with the new technology, we know that that's what it needs. And while I was online to this engine rebuilder, uh, the guy that built the engine, and I told him what I was going to be doing, and I said, the problem is if Ford Motor Company comes back and I have a, a problem they're going to say, "Oh, well, uh, you know, you change the viscosity on the engine," and he said, "I will guarantee that motor zero thirty will not hurt it." And he said, "What what's your what's your fax number there?" I said, "Okay, I give my fax number," and he said, "I will we will guarantee your motor from no oil related engine failures using a ten thirty full synthetic." He put it and write it in and send it to me. And I'm going, okay. So that, I run it for the rest of the time, and I have zero problems. Now, for the ones over there say, boy, this sounds really cool, I think I'll go ahead and switch it to synthetic. If you run over 30,000 miles on a paraffin-based oil that you get in on your vehicle, and you say, okay, I'm going to switch it to a full synthetic, what you must do You must get an engine oil flush. Run it in your motor. Excuse me. (coughs) And clean the debris and the buildup of the paraffin base inside that engine out. Follow the instructions. I know we're men and we're women, and, you know, we read the instructions most of the time, but not all the time. When you put that engine flush in that motor, you read every thing on the sticker at least twice, at least twice, and you follow that instruction, and then when you get your motor clean, you stand a chance of putting full synthetic in it and it working like it's supposed to. If you have a leaky valve cover or you have an oil leak out of your vehicle, fix it before you put the full synthetic in it because synthetic flows a lot easier and quicker, and it has a lot more detergent in it. And regular paraffin base So if you have a leak In a valve cover With regular motor oil Even though it has The full synthetic Has all these seal enhancers And everything It cannot go back And correct a problem That's already existing So fix the valve cover Fix the rear main Fix whatever you've got to fix To keep the oil inside the engine Then do the flush Then do the The um, Synthetic changeover drive it one thousand miles I, I i i well, that's a recommendation. I drive it five hundred, pull the dipstick on the oil and see if it's gone down. The normal thing is at a thousand miles you'll be down one quart if you haven't properly flushed the engine to get the other stuff out. Because what the synthetic does is go in there and clean the rest of it out. It does not burn, show smoke out the tailpipe. It just cleans it out, and all of a sudden you've got a quart low on oil, and you're scratching your head going, What happened? Then you top it off with another quart of full synthetic that you're running in there, and then you recheck it. Probably better 95% of the time. If that's the only problem, then you're going to be running full at 1,000 miles, and then you're good to go. But I've seen the people do it the other way, and they've had to do it a couple of times because, one, they didn't flush the engine. And I tried to explain to them, you got to get this other garbage out because that full synthetic is a lot higher detergent. It will clean that engine block out from inside out, and it, it can plug a lot of stuff. But when you do the engine oil flush, even if you want to do it on your old motor, and you do an engine oil flush, just remember, you're taking stuff out of the engine block. It's flushing it down the return lines inside the return oil galleys, and it's going down into the pan, and then it, if it builds up enough, it'll be picked up by the screen or attempted to be picked up by the screen on the oil pump in the pan, and it can starve the engine. That's the reason that you do it. You, you don't put it in and drive it for 200 miles. You put the oil flush in it. You follow the instructions, and you get that stuff out. And when we flush them around the shop, we actually babysit that motor when you're flushing that thing, depending on how many miles the motor's got on it, because we've seen them when you pull the intake off, and it looks like you haven't changed the oil in the last 300,000 miles, and you've only got 60,000 on it. So that is – if you do it any other way than what I've just described it to you, then you're going to be – you're going to have an issue. If you have a vehicle that is smoking, have that thing diagnosed, find out why it is smoking and where the problems are before you go to spending a lot of money on a flush and a lot of money on a – changing the oil to a full synthetic. Make sure you cure the problems of the engine that has been created over the way your lack of service or service, what you've been doing with the vehicle. Everything is a player, the way you drive it, what you use it for. Um, all of that is a player in this. That's the reason you must read the instructions. And remember, not all instructions will cover all situations on an the engine. It don't do it don't do it. They're assuming that you've maintained your vehicle. They're assuming that you've taken care of the oil leaks. They're assuming this. They're assuming that because you cannot write enough instructions to cover 100% of the things that can possibly affect what you're trying to do or to prevent any ill effects from what you're trying to do. So that's the good point for the... uh, preventive maintenance, and regular maintenance. Regular maintenance is super critical on a vehicle, super critical. I can't explain it enough. Parker can't explain it enough. Automotive specialists can't explain it enough because it is just that important. And with everybody driving and everybody's in a hurry, the cars are running better than they used to run as long as you do your part to help them. You need to help the engines out. Keeping the fluids changed, and I'm I'm not only talking about the oil now, I'm talking about fluids. If it's liquids and it's in a motor, trust me, there is a time that that stuff needs to be taken care of. That is preventive maintenance. You get it before it gets you, because you will not like it when it gets you, and then on top of the repair, you've got a tow bill from Frontier Towing just to get you there so that we can fix it for you. So. What do you got you wanna add anything to that, Jim?
1: So with the with the going to the higher uh viscosity oils, um I understand the the concept two hundred and fifty thousand miles, you know, there's gotta be wear in the in the bearings, right? wearing the cylinders, rings. The only thing what I've experienced is that when you get a high mileage motor, and unless you do what you just said, which is flush it's isn't a hundred percent guaranteed, but you have restricted oil passages because, well, engines get hot right. get cold. Oil, oil heats up, so and tiny little oil passages become tighter, just like your arteries do when you get to be our age, right, Jerry? It's be old guys. Your arteries are plugged hey, up. Hey, be careful! Well, we got to go in now. for all. <laughs> 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 got to go in for all that work. Uh, need a rotor router. So, <laughs> need a rotor router. <laughs> need a rotor. <roto-rooter. laughs> Right, and and and, uh, when, and and you'll see a guy that does engine builds. They'll actually have the little, you know, the 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 b- brushes that go into clean passages because because when you do after you clean them out, it doesn't get them all clean, right? And so um, with the higher viscosity, viscosity is viscosity. It doesn't matter whether it's synthetic or or paraffin, it's still viscosity. So when you have a restricted passage, a slightly higher viscosity can mean starvation to the lifters or a cam bearing or a distributor shaft. And the pump, since it's got a a check, you know, since it's got a a, a blow-by on it, all oil pumps do. You can't, they won't, the oil pump's designed Uh not to let you run to 2,000 PSI because you would just grenade the motor. Let's just get that right out there. So every little, mm-hmm. every oil pump's got a bypass relief on. It. So when it gets the pressure gets too high, it kicks off. So it cycles it back into the oil pan. They've been doing that since I don't know what 1910. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe after after the model the Model Ts and they realized that this was a problem. Um, well, any they rate, used to the, use
0: cups um, on timing change to pump the oil out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> cups sometimes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know what? I forgot about that. You're you're right. You're right uh but the the when you just be careful when you when you upgrade from you know going up a if you went from five to ten you know that's not a huge jump, but you know starting ten points going from thirty to forty that's that can be a significant you know a significant increase in in restriction pressure so now the pressure gets higher um it's not making there like just like you said you know critical top end lubrication critical valve train. Especially on double overhead cam engines, turbos, uh, turbos mm-hmm. that are, are now mm-hmm. seeing um, less oil because of the because of the uh, higher viscosity that's not allowing it to get there. Synthetic does help that, not because the viscosity is lower, but because the synthetic stays on better. So it doesn't break down. It, it wears. It, oh. it just wears a little better. It runs a little cooler. So. Um, But I understand that it actually doesn't bleed back
0: as much as therapy. It
1: does. Correct. And, and you're right. You're absolutely right. Of course, you're right. Well, what am I saying, right? <laughs> I'm just the shotgun on this show. The uh, but the uh, the the ring wear <laughs> at 250, you know, is is a huge problem. I mean, you'll I've seen cars, Jerry's seen cars where, the you know seventy thousand miles and you're stuck in oil and you're like a hundred thousand miles. Why am I burning oil on a 2010 car? When it should, you know, my '60s car, I can understand. You know, different metallurgy, different rings, different different thought process. Today's cars are far more, far superior, far more dialed in than they were 50 years ago, even 30 years ago. Cars are are manufacturing processes right. are significantly improved by thousands of times. But it, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's evident by the fact that you know when we. When I bought a car, it had an odometer that only went to 100,000 miles. Today, the cars go to a million miles. Why? Because cars will go 300,000, 400,000 miles. The old car used to never go 100,000 miles. If you had 100,000 miles, you were less like, it's time to throw this thing away and buy a new one." That's what my granddad did. When they got 50,000 miles on their old car. They were ecstatic. Well, today we expect more. We get more. Yep. So... Well, we, uh, we drive more. That, we drive a lot more. We drive more? We drive a lot more. We go a lot more places. We're we're a lot more mobile. Than we were, yeah. We're not regional to a very small locale. We expand all over the place. Driving around the country is not a big deal for us. You know, it's easy. It's not like Columbus. It's not like Columbus to just go out there and see what happens. It's just I know where to go, and I have all my <laughs> my facilities. I've got I've got the I've got a complete infrastructure program. Boom, let's go. Um, so yeah, two fifty on a car today. We're just like, well, that's that's not that bad. That's okay. Is it running good? There's transmissions, last. Two hundred. Yeah. yeah. To properly maintained cars. You if you, you, don't, if nobody you take that ah.
0: Good. You you can you if you if you take care of a car, take care of a motor, and this is most of them. Uh, if you take care of it and don't abuse the car which means that uh, not changing the oil in a vehicle is abuse, okay? And if you change, if you service a vehicle regular and you do the preventive maintenance as well as, well as your regular maintenance, there's no reason not to expect two hundred fifty, three hundred thousand 300,000 miles out of these new cars. But you've got to change it. And you say, oh, Jerry said that I can run two hundred, three hundred thousand 300,000 miles on this car. If I change the oil. No, Jerry said if you do the preventive maintenance, the regular maintenance, preventive maintenance, that'll probably get you there. Because a preventive maintenance is let's say you take your transmission and you say, Oh, well, you know, they say I don't have to service it for a hundred thousand miles or a hundred and fifty thousand miles. You don't have to do the coolant to one hundred and fifty thousand miles. Okay. If you if you if if you're that sure that the antifreeze that they use in that vehicle is actually that good. But what they don't tell you is that's a closed system. Once you pull a radiator cap off the radiator and introduce it to the outside air, now it's contaminated. Now it'll stay contaminated. You change it every two years, 24,000 miles on the brand new vehicles, they said, "Hey, on that brand new vehicle, go about two years. Uh, uh, well, you can go about three year, thirty six thousand miles on it, and then we recommend changing the antifreeze, and then go two year, twenty four thousand on the changes after that. If you'll do that, you probably won't have a radiator problem, mm-hmm. even though the Arizona sun loves to eat plastic." And the UVs will actually cause plastic to dry out, and radiators are now made with plastic tops, plastic sides, and anything else that can use plastic. And so you're going to have problems in Arizona with the UVs on this. So all you can do is the best you can do, and I'll guarantee you, you will have less breakdown than the person who don't do what you're doing to your vehicle. And my brother notorious for saying, oh, well, it'll, it's getting to the point where it's going to nickel and dime me to death. No, it's not. It's going to dollar you to death and hundreds of dollars you to death. If you don't do it, you need to do these little things like fuel filters. How many people remember to change your fuel filter? You know, Brian Fuller screams it every time I get him on the show. You need to change that fuel filter once a year. Well, the reason he wants it changed once a year. Everybody drives 5,000 miles a year. Not everybody drives 12,000 miles a year. People are driving seventeen to 24,000 miles a year. And so if you just get in the habit of changing that daggone fuel filter, you'll probably stay somewhere within the ballpark as far as keeping the fuel pumps and stuff working because you're not blocking the flow from a dirty fuel filter. So fuel filters is critical. All right. Who we got on the line? We got uh, Pat who wants to talk about air resource boards, California. <laughs>
1: okay, bring
2: him on, Pat. Good morning, welcome to the Simmons Car Care Show. Good morning. I didn't really—I that really wasn't my main thing. I was the main gist of this was I was going to talk about how California, it, it, since as early as 1961, started implementing their own standards. On the average, two years before the before the federal government would go into it. And remember the dark old days when when old carpet cars prior to 1961 for sale in California and 63 and the rest of the nation, they had road draft tubes for yep. the blow-by. They, they didn't have PCB valves. And in 1961, California realizing of the – not to mention the blow-by or, or road draft tubes, the engines would never last as long anyway because if you sat and idle the engine a lot – the, you can never get rid really of the blow-by out properly because if it didn't have any draft going underneath it, uh, if you didn't have a car moving, there's no way that that thing could efficiently, if you could call it that, vent out the, the blow-by or the or the, it, it, the combustion, uh, the, basically the blow-by from an from right. automobile engine. So 61 California realizing that, first off, it's a, it, it's a whole carload of hydrocarbons coming out of it. And secondly, if you reburn them, it actually adds to the efficiency of the engine, and it actually keeps the engine clean in the long run. So they, came, they mandated PCB valves in 1961. Then the rest of the government followed in 63. and I remember reading, I, I've got a bunch of these old car magazines, Piper Mechanics, Mechanics Illustrated, and I was reading in 19, early 1962, they were they're fretting about PCB valves coming on the engine, saying that it was going to cause all kinds of issues with the island, the carbons will never be able to set right. And I was just blown away reading that because I thought, to me, PCB valves are probably the best thing that ever happened in an engine. They they certainly drastically increased the life of a car. They they a truck engine. They definitely increased the life of it because of uh, if you did a lot of idling, at least the, the 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 blow by was getting recycled and the engine being reburned, and there was partial gasoline going into it with it all that. So it it made it a far cleaner setup, and and, and if you kept the oil change, it kept the engine clean t- internally. So where I'm going to next is in 1965, late part of 65, California started insisting having admission devices on on their engines prior to the rest of the 49 states following it, or the federal government following in 1968. So almost everything in California that went over there had air pump systems, the the, the first dawning of the air injection pumpers system, which is still with us to some degree or another to to this day in, in the automobile engine. And then 68... The federal government mandated other devices coming into air pollution systems with control combustion and and preheat for the carburetor, and and a lot of them had air pump systems, too. And then in 1970, California would ban—not ban, but they wouldn't allow certain engines for sale in in certain makes, and they started that in 70, 71— And then they had to start complying to their emission control standards, and you couldn't get certain axle ratio standards or that you could get with the other 49-state cars. So California's been in this game for a long, long time. And I remember seeing a bunch of ads on Craigslist in 2011 where they were selling a bunch of diesel trucks coming from California, which I did not know. But I guess anything, and I don't know how true this is, but what I was reading is 2011 and older trucks are not legal for the state of California. So basically, you could not run any older truck prior to 2011 in the state of California. I don't know how true that was, but I knew there was a bunch of ads about a year ago for, for trucks that were, were were based in California, 2011 and older, that were that were being sold. So California's been in this game for a long, long time. And I'm not surprised that they're going to be having electric cars in in. 2035, because I mean they've banned every lawnmower, gasoline power lawnmower, and, and garden equipment for the about two years ago. So, California, the, the California Air Resource Board has been in this game for a long, long time, and they, they've definitely there's certain they, they they've made nightmares. I don't want to say nightmares, but car makers have had to sit there and 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 meet their standards since they sell. I guess it's, it's a stagnant amount. I think it's 30 or 40 percent of most car sales are are in the state of California, alone in truck sales. So that was the only reason I brought that up is California's been in this game for a long, long time.
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I know we used to get cars in in Tucson that were made in California and mm-hmm. when they first started coming in with the uh where people had brought purchased a car in California and then moved out of California and then they get here in Tucson and they were disconnecting all of that stuff. Oh, sure and then they yeah, were sure ready to go down and have an emissions, they would have to have it emissions tested, and uh, they couldn't get it because they had everything unhooked. And then they had that expense of trying to put everything back because of the California VIN number. And you had to have everything just like it was built in California put back on it. And that was a nightmare because you couldn't find the parts to do it with. It was just oh, a nightmare. No,
2: because- most of them were lost. Sure. I know a lot of people who buy cars from California or they're beginning with, and they were earlier, they had air pump systems. They yanked the whole things off. You could see the plugs in the exhaust manifolds and where the brackets used to be for the smog pump systems. But yeah, I, I don't know. If some of the older engines, you could get away with pulling the emissions off, and they would run better, but when you started getting into the to the late '70s and the early '70s, and you started yanking a bunch, of, especially Fords, you started popping air pumps and all these other devices. The engines, the cars never ran right again. Not unless you went right. to the real trouble of buying different carburetors and different distributors, and then pulling the cam off and setting the timing back up. There was those. I mean, these things were designed when they started doing them. They were designed to run the emission devices that were on them, and the engines never really ran right. You never got the power back out of them. Unless you did a thorough job doing it, and you didn't have to worry about like you said earlier, putting all the old stuff back on it you so
0: without skinning it, you'd have to skin it an it it was to the point where you'd have to skin them down as far as actually taking them exhaust manifolds, intake manifolds, carburation everything had to be changed if you was going to do it right, but uh, exactly. you know exactly uh, seeing them. They Then Arizona started inspecting these vehicles, and they started going by VIN numbers. So they'd go by VIN numbers, and it had a certain uh, California VIN number that they'd go by, and you better have everything on that the computer said that you were supposed to have on for that motor, or you would not go through the Arizona inspection stations. I remember well, I, seeing those I, things coming in. Uh, oh oh
2: exactly and and then and then the other thing and i'm sure you probably experienced in the shock, too is when when Ford started coming out with e g r and uh they had to comply compile the e g r uh valves in nineteen seventy three up and instead of what General Motors and Chrysler and a lot of the other car makers did, they casted the the import they casted the PCP PC, PC, or i'm sorry the e g r provision in the intake manifold, Ford decided to go with the plate between the carburetor and the intake manifold. And if you didn't pull the top of that plate out every once in a while to clean all the carbon and stuff off them the things would start running really bad and they'd start detonating and knocking really bad and, or they would they would burn the whole absolutely. bottom of that plate up if you didn't if you didn't keep those if you didn't knock the carbon out of those things so a lot of those emissions too, if you didn't keep the maintenance on you could you could really bring yourself into a whole lot of trouble with those things too I mean maintenance is absolutely imperative, and a lot of people never took care of them because they just and emission devices, people just didn't care about them. They were just more of a nuisance than they were a necessity, which is now not the case nowadays. So everything is all integral with it. You can't de-emission a late mile engine. And I've I've watched people in the, in the business I've been in the junkyard business that have tried. It, and I watched a guy I said there's a '97 Chevrolet truck, and he decided to take all the 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 Vortex throttle body and and intake the injectors, all that off, and put a Chevy Quadjet on there. and then he had a real problem, he couldn't figure out why his, his uh, four sixty L E transmission wouldn't do anything except just hanging low and wouldn't do anything except just move in reverse and drive and will not ship out of first because it had no electronics to work with, no electronic speedometer to work with, nothing to tell it what to do. So I mean Absolutely. there's some real hacks out there that stuff and try to bypass all these ECMs and all that, and it just it's nothing but disaster and they have some warped idea that they're saving money doing this. And I just I don't understand how they can do it because... To me, uh, electronic control vehicle with, with modules and all that—you can't find a better way. It's so nice to get into a vehicle, start the vehicle up, and you have nice drive off. You're not dealing with chokes, you're not dealing with choke jams, you're not dealing with uh, sputtering, you're not dealing with stalling, you're not dealing with with hesitation. You just jump in that vehicle and you drive off, and it's all because of throttle body or it's all because of fuel injection ECM. It, it, it's just a world of difference. I, I would never want to go back to carburetors, only except for the fact that I own two old vehicles that have them. But I would never want to go back to any carburetors because when these things are dialed in, there's not a better running engine as far as efficiency, gas mileage, and longevity. Because that's why engines last as long as they do is because of fuel injection. They they also are are a good. I want to say like a good barrier for bad maintenance because the engine's going to burn a lot cleaner, so you can get away with really crappy oil changes. If you're foolish enough not to take care of your car, so that's the point I was going to make on that. Good point. Good point. Thanks for the history lesson,
0: buddy. And well, yeah, I,
2: everything has probably, evolved. So I should have probably did a little bit more studying, but it's just for, because I heard you make mention of that, and I remember when they were talking about PCB valves and all these other things, and and, and I I was just shocked when I read that article in that one magazine. In '62, and they said, "Oh, PC valves are going to cause all kinds of issues with idling, and the carburetors will never be right, and these are going to be all gummed up." And I thought, God, that's not. And that information always seems to precede any kind of new innovation. Throttle bodies, oh, they're going to be terrible. Nobody can touch them. The carburetor's is the only way to go. Um, Electronic controlled engines, oh, they're going to be a disaster. And they can be in the hands of the wrong person, or if you break down your rod's you, are you going to have to be towed and have your, you're going to have to you have your vehicle scanned, find out why it's not starting, why it's not running. That's Granted, that's a problem, but it happens so infrequently, and to me, the trade-off is just not there. I'd rather have a nice, efficient vehicle with, with complete efficiency, good fuel mileage, and an engine's going to last three times as long as a conventional gasoline carbureted engine. So that's, that's how I feel about it.
0: Absolutely. Well, when people have been around long enough and they've experienced both directions, you can see. I remember when the uh, electronic fuel injection came out, the automotive repair industry, a bunch of the old-timers in it, like had a heart attack. And it turns oh, yeah. out that the <laughs> fuel injection is easier to work on than the carburetors. But they were having a heart attack prior to that, and they just couldn't get their head wrapped around it. And I do have an older uh, master tech at the shop. And he said, I remember those things come out. And he said, I said, there's no way. And he said, they turned out to be about a third as hard to work on as a carburetor. Because there's a lot of carburetors that come out that people were trying to maximize fuel economy and stuff like that. Ford had a notorious one that come out. And you could rebuild that thing until the dogs come home and never could get it like the brand new when it come off of the uh
1: Oh, I know. It
2: had, those plastic, it had those plastic slides that would come down. And I forget what the hell they called it. It was based on the Motocraft 2, but it was a real nightmare carburetor. And a lot of people yanked them off and replaced them with either a, an older motorcraft or a Holley carburetor. But I remember those things, and I can't, I can't remember what the name of those things were. Verid, Verid, there's, it's not very yet, but I know some kind of. there's some name for that carburetor, and they ran it for... It was a gap carburetor so they finally got fuel injection on board. A stopgap carburetor before fuel injection got right. on board. But it was it, it, when it ran right, they worked all right. But when it didn't run right, they were almost impossible to ever get back. And I, I wish to God I could don't think of the, think the name of the, the carburetor. But I don't know what talking about.
1: It, pardon me? It was a variable Venturi.
2: That says thank you. Thank you. I was going nuts. But I it's remember those things. Variable Venturi. You're, you're right, Jim. I forgot all about. I remember. Thank you, because I was going to mess trying to figure out that name. But I remember they, they when they worked right, they worked all right. But man, when they didn't work right, they were they were just a monstrous pain, and very few people could ever get them back right that I know of. So
0: they were replacing them with the older carburetors, the ones that actually work. And we've seen them because they're the price of that carburetor to buy it from the from Ford. Was about four times what a regular carburetor costs.
2: Oh, yeah. And they're listing out for. On at the, in 1983, they're listing out for almost $600 for those carburetors. I, I remember that. They're, they're, they're a staggering chunk of change for those carburetors. And you're right. They're about three times more than any carburetor you could ever buy off the market. So. But. Right. Anyway, that was my two cents on the history at. of the, Pardon me?
0: Well no, I just wanted to thank you for bringing that up. You know, that gets oh, a lot of Oh, you're very
2: welcome. You're very welcome. I, 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 how far I, we've I, actually come. So oh, I and I think it's I think it's fantastic. And and the only thing is, I don't know and I and I've stated this before, I don't know if I'll ever get used to that stop start system 'cause I listen I, I drove a friend of mine's truck and he bought a twenty two Chevrolet. He stopped the line thing stopped. I pushed and I've said this before and I'm gonna bore you guys to tears, but I've pushed too many damn cars across streets and intersections that have stalled. That just does not give me a comfortable feeling. I don't know if I'll ever get used to it or not. Me either. All right. Thanks, Pat. Appreciate the
0: information, buddy. Have a good weekend.
2: It was my pleasure, Jerry. Jim, I hope you guys have a great weekend, and thanks again. It was a pleasure talking to you guys. All right. Thank you.
0: Thank you. You bet.
2: Take care, and have a good weekend, you guys.
0: Bye bye. All right. I need to get my uh, advertisers in. Merrill's Automotive, uh, they have a machine shop at 15 West Aho, 807 4010, area code 520, 807 4010. And they are open on Saturdays. They, they've got a machine shop. They can do turn your drums, rotors, resurface flywheels. I'd call them first to make sure you can get it in and get it out because I know a lot of you are working on a Saturday schedule. 807-4010, prefix is 520, and lensautobrokerage.com, lensautobrokerage.com, and desertrv.com. They specialize in toy haulers. got a beautiful website, both both directions. Everything is listed on there, so you can go to the website. Easy to negotiate, and you can actually see their inventory without ever driving over there. Find out what you want to go look at, and then go over and kick a tire. Parker Automotive AZ dot com. Parker Az. dot com three two three nineteen sixty located at fifty one oh one East Speedway. Excellent shop on the east side of Tucson at fifty one oh one East Speedway. The area code is five twenty three two three nine one nine six zero. Good shop. You got uh uh pickup and delivery. Uh you can schedule online they're just like me they're just like Simmons, they're just like automotive specialists and you can you can get the stuff done the way you want done. They do have the equipment they do have the same issues that everybody has with equipment, but they're they little they're proactive so they try to keep all the equipment there necessary to diagnose the cars and stuff that you do. They also work on uh, i think it's b m w s and uh, they have a BMW tech there that's pretty doggone good, too. So, <laughs> Parker Automotive. Then you have my buddy at uh, Automotive Specialist, az.com. And 520 572 1734. Uh, that's the office. 520 572 1734. Brian's cell number, Mr. Test First Don't Guess sale number, is 520. 520- Two three seven three eight five two, and that'll get Brian's personal cell phone. Uh, for drive shafts, any problems you have with a drive shaft, or you want to call it a propeller shaft, uh, whatever you call them, uh, Simmons Drive Lines. Uh, we have a specialty division over there, Simmons Drive Shaft Specialist, and we repair. Everything on a drive line, we can. If you blow an end of a drive line out or twist a tube out, we can replace it. You don't have to buy a new drive shaft from a manufacturer. If you're doing a modification, you put a Chevrolet engine in a Dodge or something. We have adaptable U joints that'll work if the length is correct. If it needs to be shortened, we can shorten it, and rebalance everything for you. We have a uh, balancing computer over there that'll go a 25 foot span. We can balance three pieces out of a box vehicle, you know, your big delivery vans, at one time, just like they did from a manufacturer. Two pieces, three pieces, one piece. We can do aluminum drive shafts. We can convert from aluminum to steel if that's what you want, or we can go back from steel to aluminum if that's what you want. So we've got it all at Simmons and that's eight eight four oh two one seven eight eight five twenty eight eight four oh two one seven We're open Monday through Friday, seven o'clock to five o'clock. We do offer shuttle service that starts at seven thirty and you can go to simmons automotive simmons auto Center dot com simmons automotive repair dot com and you can schedule online. You can go through jump through the hoops and schedule online if you like. And uh that'll give you a little bo- a little more history about who Simmons is. We've been there for forty six years now. Uh don't forget the tickets, the NASCAR tickets for the uh seven o'clock hours, callers two and four. For the previous, it was one and three. If you have any left over for the second hour, go ahead and get that ticket out to Anyone it calls, that's not a two and four. Give that other ticket out, other two tickets. I don't have any way of knowing what was going and what's not. Merrell's Auto, Merrell's Auto, Merrell's Auto, com. Go to the website. Find the Merrell's store next to you. They're open today. They're absolutely excellent as far as helping you find parts. They've got a good selection of OEM parts in the white boxes. They have uh, stuff at 18 wheelers. They have additives. Uh, Just Don't forget what I told you about additives, though. When you go with the additives, you read the instructions. Come on, guys, gals. Read the instructions on it before you put it in your tank and try not to get too wild and crazy with it. A little dab of do you, if you read the instructions, the ones that are going to be running too much additive, Make sure that you match it to the what you already have in your tank. If it says one bottle will treat 25 gallons, and you put it in and you've only burnt a half of a tank, that means you've got half of that still there. So only put a half of that bottle in your tank to um, take it back to what you want to run through it. But uh, <clears throat> as a rule of thumb, I put a, a bottle of additives in the tank about every third tank. And that'll give you a chance to get the benefit out of it and not overkill it with just additives because you can leave some money lit on the counter if you do that. So just pay attention, follow the instructions. All right, we're running down pretty close to the top of the hour. Now, Jimbo, we talk about tire rotations. Um, If you have a radial tire or bias ply or bias sidewalls, belts, Radial tires go from front to rear. Buy supplies, you go from corner to corner, opposite corner. You go from the right front to the left rear and from the right side back to the right rear. The left side back to the right rear, so you cross them. Anytime you buy a brand new set of tires, have the vehicle aligned to make sure that the tires are going to get the utmost wear and the fuel savings is going to be not pushing something down the road sideways, which will be your tire, because it takes additional fuel to do it. (coughs) Excuse me. You will get your better fuel economy, better tire wear, less suspension stress if the vehicle is running like it's supposed to down the road. Oil leaks, get your oil leaks fixed. Don't let it keep going out of the motor. Said, oh, well, a quarter of oil is cheaper than having it fixed. No, it's not in the long run, trust me, because the oil blowing down on the rubber components is going to make them soft and cause them to break. That'll be motor mounts that are no longer $8 a piece. Some of them are like $50 a piece now. Uh, transmission mounts that holds the transmission in place. You get that oil blowing down under that car. It blows back, and it gets oil soaked, uh, transmission mounts, it, any rubber components under the hood that gets oil soaked will become uh, spongy and start to break, and so you're going to have problems. So if you got an oil leak, please just get it fixed. It's better for the environment. It's better for your engine. It keeps the engine up. Um, if you do decide to flush your older motors and get the debris out to keep the oil galleys clean, like Pat was talking about Jim was talking about, um, be sure to read the instructions and follow them to the letter. All right. According to my watch, we got about a minute and a half left on the top side. Jim, what do you want to add, buddy? Oh, I uh,
1: forgot to chime By in the uh, way, what? top of the first hour. It's, uh, forgot to t- chime in at the top of the first hour. It's uh super safe Saturday since I'm on the radio. And I talk about this all the time. I was just so going to nail down, you for that. Move over. <laughs> Slow down, move over, and be safe. Don't text. But also, don't text. It, it, don't text and drive. It's a beautiful day. If you're going to go out and work on your car, remember it's Super Safe Saturday. That means jack stands under the jack, hood props under the hoods. Don't start the car with your fingers in it. <laughs> make sure you're free and clear. Uh, if you're going to your work on tires, wheels, and brakes, make sure you have the proper stuff. Keep your legs out from underneath that thing. That includes Super Super Safe Saturday. Includes all the stuff when you're working on your car. Don't jack it up on a hill. Set the emergency yes. brake. All right, folks. Have a great day, Jerry.
0: Yes. Yes. Thank you, Jim. And for the rest, I'll be
1: out there. Uh...